sports columnist Jim Suhan joins us now. Hey, Jim, good morning. Good morning, Jay. All right, so entertaining Timberwolves game last night. They lose, though, to Sacramento 118-111. Your thoughts? Yeah, entertaining, frustrating. Uh, I tell you what, it, you know, they aren't getting sellouts right now, but the atmosphere in the building's really good. Uh, they're obviously playing a lot better. Uh, the Western Conference is going to be crazy down the stretch. There, I mean, there are no great teams, and there are about 12 pretty good teams, and every win is going to either rocket you up the standings or rocket you down the standings, as we've seen the last couple of days. Sacramento's good, uh, really well coached. Fox is a wonderful player. Get a shot. And any shot he wants, anytime he wants. The bonus is really good. Keegan Murray's a really good rookie. Uh, that's a, it's a really, I could even see this becoming something of a rivalry. Uh, Go Bears, the bonus really went at it last night. Uh, basically, Wolves didn't shoot free throws well enough. They had some really weird, unforced turnovers. They had some defensive breakdowns. You know, they still look, even though they've been much better for the last month, uh, they still look like a team's trying to figure some things out. You know, it just, it just, this stuff takes time. So I think, you know, hey, they're in the fight for a, a prime seed and it's going to, every game is going to be fairly dramatic from here on out. Are they as good as the best teams in the Western Conference? Well, I mean, they seem to play Denver pretty tough. Um, and it's not really, you know, what are they now? It's what are they going to be? Uh, what are they going to be when they get Towns back? What are they going to be if they keep, keep improving at the rate they've been improving. Their defense is much better uh, at this point than it was two months ago. Their offense is better. They still have off nights. Every NBA team does. Last night I didn't like their ball movement. Uh, their ball movement lately has been excellent. Last night it was not very good. That really affects their quality of shots. Uh, so, you know, but, I mean, Denver's the best team in the West, and Denver isn't great, you know. Uh, Sacramento's the third best team in the West, and they're about the same as the Wolves. So. It's all, you know, it, it's going to be, it's going to be, uh, just a very fair, open competition the rest of the way. The Wolves have a, a fairly tough schedule, but, you know, that, that's okay. Uh, they, you know, I really, and still, the, probably the most important thing that's going to happen this season is Towns coming back, being completely healthy and learning how to play next to Gobert. And that process is just going to be starting in a few weeks. Have the Timberwolves learned to play with Gobert better in recent weeks? Yeah, a lot better. Um, they figured out, you know, they still, I mean, listen, it, none of this is about perfection, right? They still make mistakes thrown to the ball in the wrong spot sometimes. Uh, but I think what you're seeing is they've learned where to give him the ball. Uh, he has been much more efficient offensively. Uh, he has been much better defensively. His rebounding totals have been really good. This month in the games where, you know, he's had some games where he played five or seven minutes and you know, was hurt and got pulled out. But in the games where he has played 30 or more minutes, he has been an absolute force. He's also started doing some of the little things that really made the Jazz good um, you know, with this team. And so, you know, here we are months and months and months into the season, and they're kind of finally all making progress playing together. It just it does take time. It takes that much time. Do you think there will be an adjustment period for when Towns comes back to? Yes, that's that's what I'm saying, is that yeah. uh, this group has adapted pretty well. They've been a pretty good team now for a while. Russell's adapted to his new role. Anderson adapted his new role. Gobert's gotten better and better. Kyle Anderson has become you know even a bigger part of this team. 
Now Towns comes back, you're adding a great three-point shooter, you're adding a 6'11 guy who can run the floor, who can score, who can draw fouls, uh, whose size does make him, him a defensive asset, even though he's not particularly a great defensive one-on-one player. But it's going to take, but now you're starting over with how do these guys play together? So Towns raises their upside significantly, uh, but the adjustment period is going to be very unpredictable. Jim, do you think from a talent standpoint, this team rivals, um, say the team that was good enough to make it to the Western Conference finals? Yes. Uh, that team was really one great player, Kevin Garnett in his prime, who was a great, great player. That team was one great player and two really smart veterans in Sprewell and Cassell and, you know, uh, another score. You know, I'm trying to remember if that was a Zerbiak team. I think that was a Zerbiak team, right? Um, and, and, and Flip did a really nice job getting the most out of a bunch of spare parts like Trey Hudson, who didn't really play any well anywhere else. So it was really, though, it was a Garnett team. It was really a one-player team that they built around. Um, this Gobert is... You know, Gobert's an all-star caliber defender. Anthony Edwards is an all-star caliber player. Kyle Anderson is even better than I thought he was, and I thought he was really good. Uh, Jaden McDaniel's a wonderful young player. Uh, they have depth. They have scoring off the bench. Torian Prince is excellent. Uh, they're going to get Jordan McLaughlin back, who's their best pure point guard. They're going to get Towns back, who's their best, still their best player. You know, Edwards will probably pass him at some point, but he's still their best player. I mean, there's way more talent here, but it's also, um, you know, with Garnett, his what he did was so well defined. Cassell and Sprewell fit w- with what he did so well that there was re- there were really none of these adjustment doubts. Uh, you know, those guys knew how to play. Uh, this group is it's you know you have a lot of young players, you have a lot of new players. Um, you know, Finch's offense and defense I think are a little more complex than than uh, not better, but a little more complex than Flips. It just, this is all going to take more time than that did. Are they a better defensive team, you think, uh, this year than they were last year? Yes. Um, you know, Gobert, even when he's struggling, is still a, still a, a defender that, you, that other teams have to worry about. And they just didn't have that before. Uh, and Towns was not really – Towns is not good at defending talented centers one-on-one. Um, so, yeah, they, they're automatically – a better defensive team. Jaden McDaniels is excellent and he's maturing. Uh, Edwards is a good defender. Uh, Prince is a good defender. Kyle Anderson's a good defender. Again, the, how the pieces fit together is really important, but still the, there is defensive talent on this team. And really, I think, you know, over the last month or so, they've been about the fifth highest rated defensive team in the NBA, which is a dramatic improvement. Jim, switching attention to the Vikings. Um, are the Vikings waiting on uh, Brian Flores to see whether or not he gets a head coaching job, specifically Arizona? I, well, we don't know that Flores is there. Flores is my number one candidate. I don't know that he's there. He's their number one candidate. Uh, I don't know. I really don't have a feel for who they're leaning toward or who they're really prioritizing. But I do think that Flores having head coaching possibilities is slowing this all down. And other candidates might have other opportunities, too. So, you know, this is this is just one of the stories where it could break five minutes from now, or it could break five days or a week from now. We just don't know. Um, and like I said, usually, often during these kinds of processes, you get a sense for what a team really wants to do, even if they don't say it. 
I, I don't really think we're there. At least I'm not there with this this process. I really don't know who they who they like the most. Jim, do you know if uh, there's any prior history with Flores working at all with Kevin O'Connell? No, I mean no. Flores obviously was a Patriots coach for a long time. He was head coach with the Dolphins. Uh, he didn't really cross paths with Flores. Um, so there's not like some personal history there. Uh, but I don't think that really matters, especially when you're talking about a defensive coach. I mean, O'Connell obviously wanted Wes Phillips, a guy who trusted, who he liked, who he'd been working with with the Rams, won a championship with him. That was a very logical hire. This is different. You're, I mean, O'Connell needs somebody he can just hand the defense to. He tried handing it to Donatel. It didn't work. He can hand the he can hand the defense to, to Brian Flores. This is a former former successful head coach, a former successful defensive coordinator. He's not going to have to worry about that side of the ball anymore. So that's why I think Flores is the perfect fit here. Also, O'Connell is a nice guy. He's a modern you know coach who who pats people on the back. I don't think it would be a bad thing to have Brian Flores, who's known to be a little more gruff, a little tougher more of the Belichick school uh, as a defense coordinator. I think a, a, a contrast in personalities might be a good thing. Jim, are the 49ers not going to make Trey Lance available in trade? I'm not sure if they ever were in the first place, but with the injury now to, to Brock Purdy, is it pretty clear that uh, they're going to keep Lance? We don't know. Um, I mean, again, this you know, there's a huge difference between outside speculation and what a team is actually thinking internally. And I don't think the 49ers are telling anybody what they're thinking internally. Uh, now, Purdy's going to be out for six months. Uh, Lance is coming off an ankle injury. You know, so I don't know what they're going to do. But but here's the thing: that organization is not afraid of quarterback controversies. They they. Benched Alex Smith, who had taken them to, to, you know, two or three straight NFC Championship games for Colin Kaepernick. I know it was a different regime, but that that mentality is carried over with this regime. They weren't afraid to get rid of Jimmy Garoppolo. They weren't afraid to trade up and get Trey Lance and give up a huge amount of assets for a guy who hadn't played. Trey Lance hadn't played much football. He just hasn't. You know, between I mean, with the COVID year and everything else, he just hasn't played many games. Um, they weren't afraid to trade up for him and hand him the job. Then Purdy comes along and plays great in their system. Um, so I think the elbow injury, to me, makes it more likely that they keep both of them let and let it play out. You know, on the outside, everybody wants answers immediately all the time. Internally, they, have, they don't have to be in a rush. They're both young guys. They're not, neither is making much money. Either of them or both of them could be great quarterbacks. Uh, and both of them are coming off injuries. Why get rid of either of them? Jim, uh, prospects and ratings change every year. Uh, Keith Law, who uh, writes for The Athletic, uh, has named uh, Emmanuel Rodriguez, a 20-year-old outfielder for the Twins, as the 48th best prospect in baseball. Um, I'm not familiar with him. Do you know anything about him? I mean, I, I know the name. I have to I have to be honest. I have not spent much time you know, thinking about him or reading about him, uh, you know, but, and, and, you know, I, I'm not a big Keith Law fan, <laughs> but, but okay. he obviously, you know, but he obviously has, has connections through the game. Um, you know, he, he did light it up yes, last year. So, you know, he's been in the organization for about a year and a half. Uh, he is, you know, he's going to his year 20, uh, season. Last year, he had a 1.044 OPS at Fort Myers. Fort Myers is not really a hitting league. 
Uh, the, the ballparks tend to be big because they're minor league, because they're spring training major league ballparks, so there aren't any cheap home runs there. The ball tends to be fairly dead because of the heavy humidity. Uh, for him to do that, it's 100, you know, it's 136 at bat, 200 plate appearances, a uh, long way from drawing any major conclusions, but he has slugged like crazy in both the Florida Coast League and in the Florida State League uh, at a very young age. That does project. that Those are meaningful numbers. So uh, I guess I'm not surprised that he would rank that high on somebody's list. Uh, as far as power hitters uh, in the organization, would he be – it sounds like he might be the best power hitter option. Are there some other guys that, uh, that come to mind as well? Uh, I don't know. Julian's going to be a really, it looks like he's going to be a really nice middle infield hitter, but he's more of a, a, probably a gap power guy. Yeah, this guy might be your, their best power hitter. Um, and, you know, again, he's a long way. We, we've seen, we've been through this before with Buxton, Sano, all kinds of other great prospects. There are so many different things that can get in the way of somebody's, uh, in primarily injuries and get in the way of somebody's development. But in terms of raw talent, I mean, this guy and 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 also the the guys that they got in the uh, in the um, in the arise trade. Those guys are both hitters, a good middle infield hitter and a good outfield hitter at a very young age. That, that's the funny, you know, you never know thing, how things are going to work out. One of the reasons they hired Derek Falvey is because he was a big part of Cleveland's ability to draft and develop uh, their own pitching. And here now you have Falvey with uh, five guys he's acquired from outside the organization and, and as his rotation and a massive amount of hitting talent throughout the organization. I mean, more hitting talent than they know what to do with. Um, so, you know, never, things are never linear, but, but this, you know, I talked, Smalley has said this on our podcast before too. He said that when Falvey got the job, the farm, the twins farm system was very thin and that not only affected, uh, their ability to bring up young players and put them on the field, it also affected their ability to make good trades because you got to have, you got to have real prospects. You got people you know, that other teams drool over. Now at that point, you know, um, whatever happens on the field, a big part of Major League Baseball is having a good farm system, and this farm system has developed pretty rapidly over the last few years. All right, Jim, what do you got in your podcast? Uh, we have the John Krasinski show up talking about the Timberwolves. We have the Viking Update show up talking about the Vikings and their defensive coordinator search and what they should do with Adam Thielen. Everything's at TalkNorth.com, including Cheryl Reeve, Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta, Roy Smalley, Lavelle Neal. And um, I said everything's at TalkNorth.com. Excellent. Very good. Thank you, Jim. We'll, we'll talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks, Jim. It's Jim Suhan, Star Tribune Sports Columnist, joining us every weekday morning at this time. Follow him on Twitter at Suhan Strib. Check out his latest column in the Star Tribune or his podcast at TalkNorth.com. The beating.